Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Hello and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. If you love the games, we are the show for you. Each week we share stories from athletes and people behind the scenes to help you have more fun watching the games. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you? I don't know. I'm having a weird day, I gotta say. How are you doing? I guess weird as well. And then okay. I guess that's the news in the Olympics land is also very weird. Yes. I'm going through all our notes and all our things and I'm saying, I am so confused and I bet a lot of listeners are confused. So we're going to see if we can sort some things out and not be so weird. Exactly. So today we're catching up on some big news in the Olympic movement. This includes eSports Week and what's going on with the Beijing 2022 team figure skating medal. But first, let's start with boxing. Oh, boy. Let's start with boxing. Now, so, once again, the IOC has proved that they're a much nicer person than I am. <laughs> well, you know, diplomacy. They are well, well steeped in diplomacy. Let's and as that. we know, there are several countries I can't travel to because I just say <laughs> things. So <sighs> we've known that boxing has been a problem for years and decades, partially because of issues within the sport relating to corruption but then we got into issues with corruption in leadership, and it kind of came to the head last December when the IOC said boxing for LA 2028 is maybe going to happen. We don't know. It's on the list of sports that can be chosen, but it wasn't on the original program. And part of that was because the IOC believed that the IBA didn't really deal with the problems with judging that they had, most notably at Rio 2016. They had huge problems with judging. They have problems with financial transparency. They have problems with sustainability. A lot of issues. So just like in Tokyo 2020, Paris 2024 boxing tournament will be run by the organizing committee, not by the International Federation, which is not what normally happens. Usually the Federation runs its own event at the games. Uh, IBA has not been allowed to do that. This will be the second games in the row for that. And the IOC laid out like IBA, you got to change X, Y, and Z in order to get back into our good graces. The IBA has done nothing but criticize. What is Russian for some bad words? <laughs> Is basically what the IBA said to the IOC. And they're playing a victim. They claim they are constantly punished for a, quote, a culture of corruption that was created by an upper echelon of people from the IOC. And part of this was, you know, and not a Russian, but the former IOC member of the executive board, C.K. Wu, was president of the IBA from 2006 to 2017. He caused a lot of governing issues. But those governance issues haven't changed. And Wu's been gone for five years now. So you say, what's up with that, huh, IBA? There's been a lot of back and forth all year long. 
the IBA continues to make sponsorship deals with Russian companies, specifically Gazprom, which is a state supplier of energy. And the IOC is very worried about the financial dependency on Gazprom and how bills are getting paid. Because do you remember this happened a while back, like magically millions were millions of dollars of deficit were just erased thanks to <laughs> so the IBA president Umar Kremlev which is why we're talking Russians just suddenly announced yes we're good we're financially stable and nobody really knew where the money came from oh <laughs> uh, so much fun so this year has just been a lot of back and forth of and I wouldn't even say back and forth. It'd been a lot of forth from the IBA going, well, they said this and they said that and they're doing this to us and they're doing this to that. Finally, several federations have said enough is enough. We are leaving the IBA and we are forming our own federation called World Boxing. How many more will join them is yet to be seen. But this all came to a head in June. Huh, this was good. There is nothing like, I mean, I think in some instances we would just love Umar Kremlov because he just talks off the cuff. But, you know, this is but off he, the cuff in a way that's dangerous. I was going to say, yeah, he's off the cuff and, and going rogue, but he may have significant ties to organized crime. So let's not commend him too much here. Right. So he, I could not believe he actually said this. He was speaking at a meeting of the American Boxing Confederation. It was their continental forum in Brasilia in June. And he accused C.K. Wu of being, quote, a criminal who was killing boxing, end quote, and claimed he should be shot. That's not a good way to go rogue. I will say that. But, I mean, the IOC fired off a very diplomatic statement saying you can't talk about us like that and people who've worked with us. And then this last week at an extraordinary session on June 22nd, the IOC expelled the International Boxing Association, which is a huge deal because it does not do this stuff. Right. That is no joke. You don't go around willy-nilly dismissing federations because it can affect so many people, so many athletes, so much sport around the world to just be like, okay, this federation is deauthorized. But in the most interesting move to me is saying, but boxing is staying in. Yeah. They have said, the, the IOC has said repeatedly, it does not have a sport problem with the sport of boxing. It does not have problems with the athletes. They have a problem with the IBA and how it's been run, how it continues to be run. And so that is the problem. And they also said that it could be potentially in L.A. If it is in L.A., the organizers will organize the tournament again. But they did not talk really about world boxing yet. I mean, world boxing is just too new. I bet I wonder if they want to see what goes on with them in terms of their financial stability before it recognizes it. But right now, boxing is not recognized as a sport on the Olympic program. And you have the issue of there are a lot of boxing judges, but there's only a limited number of boxing judges. And I think there's still a concern, will the issues with the IBA get transferred over to world boxing? 
yes, the governance may be clean, but you've got to get all the way down to the bottom, to the grassroots level to make sure that it was an issue of governance corruption that was influencing the bad judging, not the bad judging working with the corruption. Right. And the IBA threatened the judges as well. Saying right. If you so work were they were boxing, they feeling threatened yeah. versus they were also corrupt? Because it takes time to be a judge. I mean, you know this. You've been an mm-hmm. official. It takes a long time to be an Olympic level official. So you got to make sure you've got enough of those. But Tokyo was very well run. We did not have issues in Tokyo mm-hmm. when you get the IBA out of the mix. But here's the thing that upset me the most. Kremlev threatened Kit McConnell, my IOC <gasps> boyfriend. What that is say? a bridge too far. Taking down an international federation, maybe I could have forgiven, but don't come after Kit. No, but I think this is actually a very good solution that the IOC came up with where we're going to govern it on its own. I mean, it's not the first time. The IPC governs lots of sports. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they don't have some template that the IOC can use, at least in the short term, to run these tournaments and kind of keep an eye on the sport. And the boxers will get to compete, which is always a good idea. You know, we always want the athletes to be protected. Right. And it'll be interesting to see how the qualification for Paris works, because it'll be something that the IOC and actually Paris 24, IOC, let's be honest, IOC is not running any element of boxing but they probably are helping to organize the qualifications to make sure that the Paris 2024 tournament goes as well as possible. And will you have, once again, any Russians competing? I mean, this is a huge issue because then if you get the Russian boxers in the mix, this is still messy. As good as it is to see the IBA out of the equation for now, and sort of at least on paper, we're still not done with boxing. Well, I think we are for this episode. So <laughs> let's move on to esports. It was esports week in Singapore. You know, it was right around Olympic Day. Yeah, it was so it, it crossed over Olympic Day. It was June 22nd to the 25th in Singapore. This is the first time they've done this in person. It's always been a virtual e series, but now they had it at the convention center. People could come and watch. The stands were full. The fans were very enthusiastic. They had a little opening ceremony. No parade of nations but because it was on a stage, but it had all the bells and whistles of something Olympic. The winners did not get medals. They got trophies. Oh, interesting. I did not watch any of the actual competition except for bits and pieces to see, you know, the very end and the winning moment. I still don't think the Olympics belongs mixing with esports, but it looked like it was a tremendous amount of fun. And these competitors take it very, very seriously. Excellent. A couple oh. of interesting points that I wanted mm-hmm. to make. So they had 10 sports. And, you know, when I look at the list of winners, there's a lot of France and a lot of Europe in general, but it's not a bad mix. You know, you've got US, you've got Australia, Singapore, Serbia. So you have, it's clearly a worldwide competition. But the coolest thing to me was the cycling team, first of all, looked like they could break you in half with their thighs. These are incredibly in shape people because you actually are cycling on a a stationary bike. But the four members of the team are each from different countries. Huh. 
And that's similar what they try what they've been trying at the Youth Olympic Games where they've had like the break-in competition at the Youth Olympic Games in Buenos Aires. That was mixed nationalities. I wonder how that plays out, you know, when you're looking at cycling for esports, how much does nationality matter? Right, cuz you can certainly train virtually. That's the point. Well, it'll be interesting to see that the IOC was very excited about it. They were very excited. And I was reading an article and they pointed out that Singapore also hosted the Youth Olympic Summer Games in 2010. So Singapore is a bit of a hotbed for sort of these new ideas. All right. Well, we will continue to keep a a side eye on it, I would say. (laughs) See what's going on. It's interesting because... When you look at professional esports, we don't talk about them as much as we did. I've seen a little bit of esport pro leagues fading a little bit. And how much esports will have relevancy will be interesting, or will it always be kind of a side event and it's just something to celebrate? But we will see how much the IOC will continue to invest in that. So we have an update on the team figure skating medal from Beijing 2022. 475 years ago. No, actually, they made an announcement that it was 500 days that these athletes have gone without their medals. Wow. That is a long time. It is a long time. And the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Museum. Whoa. This was a surprise to me. So they created an exhibit of the nine empty medal boxes from the U.S. team that their medals would have gone into to remind people that this case is still ongoing and none of those athletes from any country have received their medals. So to go back, (laughs) cast your mind back to December 2021. So Camilla Valieva was found to uh, was tested positive for a banned heart medication at the Russian Nationals. It wasn't announced until after the team event had been completed in Beijing. And so then it became, wait, she shouldn't be competing. Rusada comes out and said, no, 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 it's fine. She can compete. But everyone else is saying, um, she tested positive. You can't use the excuse of her being a protected class because she was only 15. So instead of awarding the medals, going on, revamping, the IOC said, we're not going to award the medals for the team event. Because remember in Beijing, they would have a Bing Duen Duen ceremony at the event and then later in the evening or the next day would have the actual medal ceremony in the medal what was it called? Yeah, the like metal, metal plaza. plaza. Yeah. So that metal plaza event never took place, but U.S. Figure Skating CEO Tracy Marek reached out to the museum and asked them to do so. This was her brainchild. I was wondering whose idea it was. She's been doing the press for it, saying we need to remind people that these athletes are still waiting for a medal. But the detail that I thought was so interesting was the night that should have been the medal ceremony, the athletes came back to their hotel rooms and these boxes are in their hotel rooms waiting for them. You know, the idea is, oh, you've gotten your medal. Now you need a place to put it. Here's this little box. And of course, this is all 
planned ahead of time and organized. And there was a little note in it, you know, one of these standard notes that they'll put with it, signed by Thomas Bach, not really signed, but you know what I mean, saying an Olympic medal is forever. But they have no medal to put in this beautiful box that they got. So all they have is the box. Which would almost feel like a slap in the face because this is your night. You're supposed to be celebrated. You're super excited about what you achieved and accomplished. And now you get none of that. All you get is an empty box, which is kind of like all of the emptiness that goes forward because a lot of these athletes, I mean, you're talking the Americans would have been moved up to gold if the doping violation goes through and Valieva's results are nullified. U.S. would get moved up to gold. Canada would get moved up to silver and Japan. No, Canada, no, Japan oh, would move Japan up to, would silver, get moved to silver and, and Canada, Canada would be in bronze. Okay. But even just, they didn't even have their silver medals, which they thought they were going to have. They got nothing. Right. Because then it's like, well, you know, do you award what based on the results and get something and therefore also get the other glory that goes with that and i.e. that's monetary stuff, which is very important to these athletes because it's it's really tough living and, and figure skating, like almost every Olympic sport, very expensive. So not getting that medal and not getting the other side benefits that go with that is very tough to deal with. And then you get an empty box that reminds you, oh, here's your empty box of promises. So on day 500, ironically, the Court of Arbitration for Sport set the date for hearing the appeal on the Valieva case for September 26th through the 29th. So supposedly, we'll get a decision. Then. And that's it. That's the last one, correct? That is the last stop because Rusada said Valieva should have been allowed to compete. WADA appealed that decision. The ISU, the International Skating Union, jumped in. So Cass is going to hear this appeal. Which hopefully we'll actually have an answer. Is Nobody's going to be happy about it, but hopefully we'll have an answer. And even if you, we talked about Valieva extensively, so I'm not going to get into that. But even if the U.S. and Japan just ended up with their medals, I mean, they earned those. Mm-hmm. They deserve them, whatever the color. And they shouldn't be punished for any of this. That sound means it is time for our history moment. All year long, we are looking at the Seoul 1988 Games as it is the 35th anniversary of that event. Allison, it is your turn for a story. So today, what have you got? And thankfully, this is a happy story, considering we've been talking about some not happy stuff. And I will explain to you what the Madagascar boycott has to do with K-pop. Oh, whoa. So even today, as we know, North and South Korea are still officially at war. So to no one's surprise in 1988, North Korea chose to boycott the games in Seoul. They were joined by Albania, Cuba, Ethiopia, Nicaragua, Seychelles, and Madagascar. Reports at the time are mixed as to whether this was actually a boycott or a financial decision. But Madagascar was an ally of North Korea at the time, but they've also only sent a handful of athletes since 1964, so we're not quite sure. But they did not go, which is the important part. 
but they have participated in three Winter Olympics. Okay. One of which is 2018 in Pyeongchang, South Korea. They sent a skier who was born in Madagascar but grew up in France, and she chose to represent Madagascar. Okay. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. In 2015, singer Hayiri from the K-pop band Girls' Day starred in a film called Reply 1988. And one of the stories they tell in this movie is about a girl who had been selected to be what they called the picket girl for Madagascar for the opening ceremonies. Now we know what they're called. The picket girls are the girls who carry the country names. That's their official title. So the movie includes several scenes where the character is practicing, where she has her costume on, where she's being interviewed to talk about why she's so excited to be a picket girl. Well, her dreams are, of course, dashed when Madagascar chooses not to attend and she doesn't get to participate in the opening ceremonies. So for the 2018 Winter Games, the South Korean ambassador to Madagascar, Im Sang-woo, floated the idea of inviting Hiere, the actress and singer, to be the picket girl for Madagascar in Pyeongchang. Wow. So organizers and the Madagascar Olympic Committee loved this idea. They extended a formal invitation to Hiere, but she was unable to attend due to scheduling conflicts, but through her spokesperson said she was very touched by the gesture. That would have been awesome. We love a good K-pop and she is well known for being the youngest member of Girls' Day. So this would have all come together very nicely. And I hope I haven't mispronounced her name because I know it's a little, the Korean names can be a little different than their English interpretations. So K-pop fans don't come for me. So many good details in that story. And we will put a link to some YouTube clips of this movie because it's adorable. It's fantastic. And if you love, as we do, the Picket Girls, there's some great scenes where she's got the costume and the sign. And she really wanted to do this. Oh, poor, poor Madagascar tough. Picket Girl. Boycott has so many ripples. Welcome to Shukflistan. Now is the part of the show where we check in with our team, Keep the Flame Alive. These are our past guests of the show and our listeners who make up our citizenship of Shukflistan. First up, David Marinus won Best Sports Book of 2022 from the National Sports Media Association, which would be his book on Jim Thorpe, which we talked with him about. Modern pentathlete Samantha Schultz has officially retired from competition. She announced it on Facebook, with contributor, which contributor Ben reposted in our Facebook group. If you want to see a very, very touching message. Racewalker Evan Dunphy competed at the Vancouver Half Marathon and got a personal best. He said he was two minutes faster than he was in 2019. And he's got some downtime, but is off to St. Moritz next week. Louise Sugden will represent Team Great Britain at the World Para Powerlifting World Champs on August 22nd to 23rd in Dubai. This is her first competition in 18 months after her surgery. So fantastic news, Louise. I was so happy. 
for her when I saw that. So I'm so excited to see her compete. And bacha player Allison Levine is competing at the Santiago 2023 World Bacha Challenger. She's currently playing in the BC4 individual competition, which right like as of today is in, still in the pools. And she will be competing with Julian Chibano in the BC4 pairs competition on July 1st to 2nd. We will have a link to the event in the show notes. It's your favorite time of year. I know. So much news from Paris 2024. It's the time of the year where the torch relay gets announced. Oh, this is so exciting. This is the time where it's like we've gotten all these teasers and now we've got the route and the details. We we've got most of the information, which is fantastic. Got me so excited. I watched their video, which I'll try to put a link in the show notes to that. Got teary eyed as I am wont to do. I can't help it. I cannot help it. The Olympic flame will be lit in Olympia, Greece on April 16th, 2024 with big ceremony. I am excited to see, I, you know, they always talk about the choreography and it's always a lot of walking around and there's usually a chair for whatever royalty from Greece shows up. So th- these are the details I'm excited to see. And I know it's weird, but that's what like, oh, we're going to see that big chair again. Hmm. I always love seeing the Greek women with the bowls and they're so dramatic and mm. you know, they're actually, you know, talking tea in the, in the dressing room beforehand. <laughs> so then we're going to have the traditional relay in Greece until April 26. There will be a handover to Paris 2024 in Athens. And on April 27th, the flame is getting on a boat. It is going to be on the Belim, which is a big tall ship kind of boat. and that ship made her initial voyage in 1896, year the modern Olympic movement came to be. Then it is going to arrive in France in Marseille on May 8th, 2024. Big celebration there. Look for a Coca-Cola sponsored concert to happen, which I thought was a big deal. Like, wow, that's going to be huge. The torch relay is going to be 68 days and will take place in 65 French territories and departments. It will go through France from May 8th to June 7th, at which point it will embark on the Ocean Relay to visit five overseas territories. And apparently it's going to go across the Atlantic first, and it's going to be on a trimaran, which is one of these really high-powered, fancy boats. I don't know how to describe it, but it goes very fast. It could go up to speeds of like 40 knots per hour. So it should shoot across the Atlantic in due course and go to French Guiana, And then it will go over to the Indian Ocean to visit Reunion, then over to French Polynesia and Guadalupe, and then back to the Caribbean to visit Guadalupe and Martinique. That relay is going to last about two weeks. Then it'll be in Nice, probably in time for Cannes, and then go back around France. It will be in Paris proper on July 14th to 15th for the Fête Nationale, which is Bastille Day. And then it goes back out. And then comes back to the Ile de France on July 19th for the final trek to the opening ceremony. There will be a list of sites and towns that the Olympic Flame will visit, and that will be published by the organizing committee soon. One big one, it will visit Chamonix on Olympic Day, June 23rd, which Chamonix is the site of the first ever Winter Olympic Games. 
It's going to hit some iconic places. So we're talking like Mont Saint-Michel. It will go to Versailles. It's going to go through some famous vineyards. I would not be surprised if it visits Pierre de Coubertin sites like his birthplace in Paris and his childhood home in Normandy. They will showcase important figures who have contributed significantly to French culture, including Jeanne d'Arc, the Hundred Years' War hero that will be in Orleans, Robert Schumann, founder of the European Communities and Council of Europe. He will be celebrated in eastern France. Charles de Gaulle, who is French president and also leader of Free France in World War II, and then also celebrate singer Edith Piaf. La vie en rose! <laughs> there will be four public figures that will be the first ambassadors of the Torch Relay. These will be actor Jamel Debouze, Dr. Marine Lorphelin, Thierry Marx, a French gastronomist, and Thomas Pesquet, a French astronaut. By the time you listen to this, the application may be closed, but the application to be a torchbearer will be open until June 30th. So very exciting news. I'm looking forward to all the different ways that the torch will get around. Notably, I think our listener, Nicholas, who runs Olympic Rings and Other Things blog, said that it wasn't planning to go to Grenoble and Albertville. However, I wonder if the departments that those two cities are in said, no, we are not footing the bill for this torch relay thing. Right. Because I think it was last year we were having problems with getting departments to participate because it was very expensive to host the flame. Exactly. And you'll see in the map where they highlight the route, there are big holes in France where it just does not visit, which makes me remember the torch relay from Atlanta and how that went around everywhere. And I'm very curious as to what they're going to do for LA 2028. As we noted in previous episodes, there's going to be high security around the torch. The website, The Local, noted that when the torch was last in France, it was during the Beijing 2008 relay, because that really kind of went all over the world. And there were lots of protests, and they expect nothing less from other activists. So, And as we were discussing right before the show started, Paris has been filled with unrest this early summer and spring. So I would expect that to not just be Paris, but into other places in France. And you certainly don't want that splashed across the world news that somebody blew up the torch or something horrific like that. Right. Or even snuffed out the flame. You know, it's such a simple action that we let's not give anybody any ideas, but it would be so symbolic to do something like that and how horrific. Speaking of snuffing out, I'm concerned about it going so fast across the water. <laughs> and that some wind will just go poof. They're going to have the lantern. It's going to be in the, they always had the backup in the lantern. I think we're safe. I hope we're safe. I mean, if they can take the flame underwater, they can certainly take it across the ocean in a fast boat. And in space. But still, <laughs> I'm concerned. <laughs> you know, you get in, the, in a convertible and your hair gets all messed up. I mean, that flame has got to be looking good. What we have not seen yet is the, the torch. So I am looking forward to seeing when that design will be released as well. In other Paris news... There will be no alcoholic beverages sold at any competition site during the games. Very interesting. I was very surprised to see this, but they there's a law in Paris that was passed in 1991. It's an alcohol and tobacco policy that prohibits the sale of alcohol at places that are for physical activity 
that includes sports stadiums. There have been exceptions to this law, but you have to apply for them. So like when the World Cup was in town a few years ago, I believe there was an exemption and there was alcohol sold in the stadiums. Rugby has also gotten an exception to, to have alcohol in the stadiums. But apparently Paris 2024 organizers are not going to ask for one. Probably a good move. Yeah, you know, it's going to be hot. There's going to be a lot of crowds. And you don't want people going crazy. Keep drinking too much and going crazy. They can do that on their own time. Reference the Australian rugby team on the plane flying home from Tokyo. <sighs> yes. If... You have purchased a hospitality ticket. There will be alcohol in those hospitality areas. So you can get it there if you really want it or just get it after your event. And in related news, they'll be flying taxis. We, <laughs> <laughs> because you definitely do not want to drink and fly. Can you so imagine... One of the flying taxi operators gets pulled over oh my <laughs> for drinking. I mean, is that, but is there even a law? Like, has the law caught up with this oh, flying sure taxi idea? I, well, I'm sure that there's a law that states that anybody operating a flying object can't be drunk and operating it. I bet there isn't. Oh. <laughs> get on that, Paris. <laughs> this well, could okay, get interesting. So- There's been a lot of talk of having flying taxis ready in time for the games. The local has reported that this will likely be mostly a shuttle service from the city to the airports. There's going to be a fare-to-port, which is going to be installed along the Seine in southeast Paris. And that ride between Charles de Gaulle Airport and the city will take about 10 minutes versus 45 minutes to an hour if you drove or took the RER train. And then the other route will go between a heliport at uh, Issy-le-Moulinot in the western suburbs to an airfield in Versailles. They're going to have dedicated air corridors for flying. Thank goodness there will be lanes. They will fly at 200 to 300 meters in altitude. And the plan is that each taxi will be able to take five to six people plus a pilot. It looks like a one-way ticket would cost anywhere from 110 to 200 euros. And compared to a taxi, that has a set fare of 55 to 62 euros, depending on where you're going in Paris. And RER tickets are 11.45. We have to do this. Oh, my God. <laughs> we have to do this. I See, I just have Kobe Bryant flashing through my head. That's what I have. It. Yeah, I know. I hate to bring that up, but that's what goes through my head. Not a done deal, though. So we may not be able to do this. The flying taxi operators need approval from the EU Aviation Safety Agency by spring 2024, and they will need permission to fly over Paris because the city has really incredible restrictions on drones flying, and it has a no-fly zone over the entire city. What will we be able to do? Who knows? Will you see us on a flying taxi? Yes. (laughs) All right. The apartments in the Athletes Village have gone on sale. This is part of the post-game strategy to have more housing in Saint-Denis. And many of the games in the past have put the village up for sale. And then when the games are over, then other residents can move in and live there. You got to sell them before the games in order to have that happen. The village, as you may recall, has a family look. 
due to the use of a lot of wood from France. And they also used low carbon concrete in the constructions to give, it's supposed to have like a really rustic and cozy, homey aesthetic, which is nice. A lot of the part apartments will have balconies. And the buildings seem to have inner courtyards to allow for more green space. Sometimes in the past, villages have looked like big high rises, like Tokyo had some big skyscrapers. This village looks like it's going to be more shorter buildings. You might get some that are 14, 15 stories high, but it doesn't look like we're going to have all of these towers all over the place. And some apartments are for sale. Some are for sale so that you can rent them out. And some are to rent right now. Studios, or what they call a one-room apartment, starts at 209,000 euros. They go up to four rooms. That's not four bedrooms. That's a four-room apartment, but it looks like the bathroom does not count in the room count. Those are going for about 494,000 euros. Some of them have two-floor duplexes, which seems kind of cool to me. Some include a parking space, and we will have more information about them into the show notes. I hope they post some video of real estate tours of these apartments. Oh, that would be cool. I wonder how much they're finished on the inside because what we found has been like artist renderings of stuff. But I am excited about this. I would be excited to be the athletes who get put into one of these duplexes and be like, oh, we got a two-floor apartment. This is awesome. But it does look really cool. I would be very curious to see how well they sell. I would also be very curious at how many of these become Airbnbs and allow the likes of us to go and uh, stay there one day. The French Lottery is having Paris-themed scratch-off tickets with cash prizes and trips to the games. I did not realize that scratch-off tickets was an international phenomenon. I did not either. (laughs) It's I thought this was such an American thing, maybe <laughs> British, because I have seen those at the postal stores. But I didn't realize that scratch-off tickets was international. Well, it's very exciting. Inside the Games reported that you could win a trip to the Games, I guess. But I'm sure you have to just be in France, and I don't know what the citizenship requirements are for winning the lottery there. And apparently the trips are prime events, to be quite honest. Paris Musée which runs 14 museums in the city, is planning to have several special exhibits to coincide with the games. Also from Inside the Games reporting this, Musée Carnavalet will have an exhibition featuring artifacts from Paris 1924. Paris Galleria will have an exhibit called Fashion in Motion, which relates to athletes and their fashion. Musée de la Ville Romantique and the Chernouchi Museum will have equestrian-focused exhibits. The Victor Hugo Museum will have a show on fencing. The Bordel Museum will have one on archery and art. And the Paris Liberation Museum will look at athletes in World War II. So this is all very exciting. I mean, I'm planning to be there like a week ahead of time. I don't think there's enough time to do all this stuff. I I was just thinking the same thing. Like, I'm hoping they will leave these up in that time between the Olympics and Paralympics one so that, you know, selfishly we can go. But also there's going to be a lot of people who don't go to Paris during the Olympics. They're not going to want to be in that crush of people. But these exhibits matter. And these smaller museums need attend, you know, a small museum is always struggling. So to have some of these, this excitement and build up to it. So I hope that people get a chance to Even if you're not going to the Olympics, even if you can't get tickets, that they'll extend a lot of these shows so people can really get a good view of them. 
Exactly. And even if you do have tickets, what if you got tickets for and you have like downtime in between games or you can't get, you know, you have a ticket on one day and you plan to be there for and what else are you going to do? This is something else Olympic related that you can fill some time with. So I'm excited. And you know what else? A lot of these museums, I don't know this, but just museums, they will have to be air conditioned. (laughs) And considering how hot... It's probably going to be sort of like when you were a kid and your mom would send you to the movies so that you could sit in air conditioning or, you know, you go to the grocery store when it's hot and the apartment hasn't turned on the air conditioning yet. Do people do that anymore? Is that, (laughs) am I really sounding old? But in France, certainly a lot of buildings are not air conditioned, including some of the village. So (laughs) we may see some athletes wandering around the museum just trying to cool off. And finally, we got word that Simone Biles may be making a comeback. She is slated to compete at the U.S. Classic on August 4th and 5th in Hoffman States, Illinois, which is just outside of Chicago. And normally we wouldn't mention this, I think, but she was such a big story at Tokyo. And in even the IOC website put out a big story about this. I think they are more than excited to see this news and to have that face of the games be there for them. You know, they did the same thing with Michael Phelps. You know, there's always a this generational star that brings attention like nobody else. And Simone is that athlete right now. We have some winter 2030 news. The USOPC says it hopes Salt Lake City will enter targeted dialogue this fall. So it's currently in the continuous dialogue phase of talking with the future host commission, which in a way, this sounds like one of those corporate things where you're like, oh, we're going, we're in this title. We're talking with them. Okay, now we're continuously talking with them. Now, now we're, we're t- really going to talk with them. <laughs> yeah, it's, we all know Salt Lake City does not want 2030. They want 2034. But I was surprised to see that they weren't already in targeted dialogue. That was one of the things I took. I'm like, wait, you're not in targeted dialogue already? So they hope to be by the, in the session this fall. Sweden, we know, is in dialogue. Someone in the Facebook group said I spoke that into being because right (laughs) after we recorded the show where I went on and on and on and on, which show, but the last one about how much I wanted it to go back to Stockholm, they released the statement saying we're in dialogue. Very excited about that. But Uh, here's the real news from... Oh, this was great. This past week, the International Olympic Committee met the week that culminated in June 23rd, Olympic Day. And the executive board met and they had press conferences. And Christophe Duby, the executive director, mentioned that six cities were in talks to host. And he let it slip that Switzerland is one of the places that wants to host. What I thought was funny was that the reporters seemed to react with some surprise at six because we've been saying they can't find a host for 2030. And all of a sudden, Christoph Dubé says, well, we're talking to six possible hosts. And then he's like, yes, six. <laughs> like He really doubled down on saying that six number. And so now we're wildly speculating as to what the others could be. Right. Because does that number six still include Vancouver? Does it still include Sapporo? Are they still kind of on the list, even though they're like, well, we're going to hold off? And the IOC just says, well, that you're still in talks. And surprisingly, there was a news report that came out that said the Japanese public sentiment is starting to change about Sapporo and that they may, even though they've officially dropped out, 
are they coming back into the mix? So this is becoming one of those old-timey host city horse races that we haven't seen since they initiated the new norm and all the different changes to the bidding process. Yeah, so we shall see. The IOC, it says it's being flexible about when it will make a decision, so we don't know what we'll find out at the IOC session this fall, but they said for sure that a decision for winter 2030 would take place no later than the session at Paris, just ahead of the Paris Olympics. Stockholm, I'm speaking it into being. A little bit of other IOC news. The IOC gave out its Fair Play Awards from Tokyo 2020 and Beijing 2022. For Tokyo, do you remember in the women's skateboarding competition, the horrific crash that Misugo Okamoto, who was winning the competition at the time, she had this really bad crash in the final round? I do remember it, and it still gives me chills. So the Fair Play Award went to skateboarders Kakona Hiraki from Japan and Poppy Olson from Australia for going to help her immediately after the crash. And then for Beijing 2022, the Fair Play Award went to speed skater Brittany Bowe for giving up her original slot in the 500 meters to our very own Shuklastani, Erin Jackson. Who then went on to just win the gold medal in that race. Very well-deserved for Brittany. It was very nice to see that act of sportsmanship rewarded. So that is going to do it this week. Let us know what you think about the IOC and uh, its situation with boxing, what you think about the torch relay, and anything else that's on your mind regarding the Olympics and Paralympics. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at FlameAlivePod. Email us at FlameAlivePod at gmail.com. Call or text us at 208. 208- Three five two six three four eight. That's two zero eight. Flame it. Be sure to join the Keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook, and don't forget to get our weekly newsletter filled with other fun stories about this week's episode. You can sign up for that at flamealivepod.com. I'd like to give a special thank you to our intern Annalie Dable for doing tons of research for this episode. Next week, we will be celebrating Independence Day here in the United States, so we will have a lightning round episode with some unique insight from our Shook Flistanis. You won't want to miss that. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. <laughs>